0: remember nothing defines you like you are a whole person like adhd is a big part of who we are but it's not all of us it isn't it's not all of our beings like we're bigger than that like we're capable more of a mantra i guess that i picked up along the way
1: welcome to the adhd essentials podcast i'm your host brendan mahan i'm an adhd professional who's been working in the field for 10 years I'm on the Organizing Committee for the International Conference on ADHD and a board member of the Men's ADHD Support Group. Before we get into today's episode, I want to let you know that registration for the 2023 International Conference on ADHD is open. Leaders in ADHD support for both individuals and families will be in Baltimore from November 30th to December 2nd. This is an unparalleled experience for our community. I highly recommend attending. I'll be there, of course, hosting this year's ADHD Influencer Panel and sponsoring the ADHD Essentials Lunchtime Q&As in the Exhibitor Hall. There will also be a virtual conference for those who can't make it to Baltimore. It runs on December 5th and 6th. The content is different, but it's just as powerful. At the virtual conference, I will be doing a workshop on managing ADHD as a member of the sandwich generation, called... Self-care for the caretaker. We'll look at how the challenges of supporting aging parents and neurodiverse children can contribute to our ADHD and how we can manage those challenges. The link for more information about both conferences is in the show notes. In today's episode, we talk to Ying, a Chinese immigrant to the United States who has ADHD. She talks to us about how Asian cultural expectations have affected her ADHD, cultural and neurodiverse masking, how ADHD increases the challenges of being an immigrant, as well as mindfulness and the calming power of shaking and dancing. All right, let's get rolling.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Ying, and on Twitter, you can find me at ADHDAsianGirl. And as the name implies, I'm an Asian girl who has ADHD, and I'm on the journey to become a meditation teacher. So I'm sharing my journey on Twitter as well as whatever tools and tips I've figured out how to manage my ADHD and just hang out there with the awesome ADHD community.
1: Yeah, and that's how we met, which we sort of interacted on, started in, to interact on Twitter and then connected with a Twitter name like ADHD Asian Girl. Clearly that's a thing that's at the forefront of your mind and and a thing that you're you're championing or at least trying to further the dialogue about. Where are you coming from with that on that lens with regard to ADHD and Asian representation?
0: Yeah, so for me just a little background about me. I grew up in China and I moved to the States when I was 17 for college and I've since lived and worked here so having adhd and the the literal translation of adhd in chinese just refers it to be hyperactive i think that impact a lot about me not thinking about i can't have adhd because i have the inattentive type instead of a hyperactive type and you know when i started to realize oh i may have adhd all the content i was looking at is on the uh, english internet and most people who are talking about it are white people. So, I mean, there are definitely black content creators and Latinos out there, but I really was not able to find a lot of Asian people talking about it. And so I, I wanted to talk about it because it is a quite unique challenge, at least from the cultural perspective, or just the kind of expectation or how we grow up. It impacts how we view things and how we experience things. And that make it harder <laughs> for us to realize we have ADHD. Yeah
1: what does the ADHD Asian experience look like? Like you said, most ADHD people who are out there talking about it are white. There are some black and Hispanic folks. So I imagine some of it is just a lack of representation. Culturally, I imagine there's differences as well. What does that look like?
0: Yeah. So for me, one of the big things that set out to me is that we have such high expectations from our family. And especially I'm talking about like immigrants, like your parents or your family sent you over here. And they have such high expectations of, of you picking one thing and succeeding that one thing, usually being engineering, computer science, lawyer, whatever, doctors. So it's just such a high expectation of you got to succeed. And I think a lot of that leads to masking like yesterday, I was talking to my uh, one of my doctor friends, and she was saying that, oh, you must be so high functioning ADHD because you know you look organized. Yeah, like we could mask and look organized, and we have to be organized for our paperwork, in which I will talk about it later. That's a very unique challenge we have to face. But that doesn't mean we don't have it, and if in a sense, it makes it harder for us to realize we have it because we're so good at masking it.
1: I should have led with this, better late than never. I want to be really clear that I'm not taking the lens of like, you are the token Asian person and you're speaking for everyone who is Asian. Like, that's not my lens at all. My lens is your experience and broadly speaking, what you've observed. So just just so it's clear that I'm not being like the idiot white guy who doesn't understand that it's your story and not all of Asia's story around ADHD.
0: Yeah, I want to be clear too. It's 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 my story and it's what I experienced and and if you guys are interested I've observed that some other content creators also have, you know, interviewed other Asian people with ADHD, you know, ADHD Jesse, he did one and women in ADHD, they have a few episodes and there's like content creators out there talking about it and And Asian is a huge category. So, you know, I'm talking about my story and some some generalization I can draw from it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. Can we play with those high expectations that are at least culturally significant to Asian families? How does that play out? Like, what does that look like? If your ADHD is winning that day and you just can't meet those expectations...
0: I'm not the girl who disrupt the class and I'm not the one when I had emotional breakdowns when, when I was younger that wasn't accepted very well because emotions are at least in China generally not shown and you don't supposed to have a big show of emotions and people you know my parents wouldn't necessarily know what to do with it a big part of it is like what I said that the idea of you need to succeed. So I had a lot of exam anxieties in grad school. And, you know, that comes into play of comorbidity of ADHD that, you know, I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety when I was in college. And a huge part of it is the exams and I need to do well in them. And so I had a lot of exam anxiety and the depression was somewhere related to like, I wanted to find the thing I can succeed and I couldn't. So I was like, "What? what is wrong with me Like why everybody else seems to be able to move on with their adult life and pick one thing and stick with it. And I think for me, a lot of it become internalized shame and just feeling like I'm not doing enough <laughs> despite people say, Oh, you have accomplished a lot. But like in my head, I felt like I wasn't doing enough because I was a ADHD square trying to fit into a neurotypical <laughs> expectation.
1: And that leads to masking, right? Yes. Can we talk a little bit about masking just in case there's anyone listening who's like, I don't know what that is. So the 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 lens that I have on masking is basically it's you're pretending to be neurotypical, right? You're trying to hide your flaws, hide your struggles, make it look like things are not as hard for you as they are. Mm-hmm. And so- you're, but you're lying, right? Because it stuff is hard. So it, there's a little bit of like a like a falsehood in there, and it can burn us out. It can be really wearing in the long term. And it's interesting. And feel free to tell me if I'm doing this wrong and I'm being an idiot American because I'm that. That's okay. But uh, but when you mention that in China you don't show emotions, right? Mm-hmm. That's masking too, just a different way, right? That's like making a mask that everything is fine all the time, and and that it is what it is and we're okay. And no one is sad and no one is angry and no one is like overwhelmed or maybe even excited. So it's, you're sort of almost being asked to double mask because not only can you not struggle with ADHD and trip and fall down, but if you do, you then can't be bothered by that. Am I understanding this in a way that's correct or useful?
0: Yeah, I, I think you got this correctly, yeah. And also, like, there's two things I want to go here. One is that I, I think you definitely got it correct when I shared with my parents during college that I had depression and, yeah, they couldn't understand, they were like, why like why do you think so much why couldn't you just be happy i was like i wish (laughs) and yeah it's exactly what you said that that, like the you can't be bothered by your challenges that you're supposed to just head strong and you know just charge forward and that's definitely part of it and another part of it is i'm aware that the current diagnosed manual doesn't include emotional part of adhd but that part is well documented um so Yeah, I think I was dealing with uh, just having strong emotions as the undiagnosed ADHD kid. And on top of it, in a society that don't talk about emotions and not having words to identify emotions and not being taught how to deal with them. And a lot of that I learned when I was in college on my own. Just like, how do you have words for emotions? How do you regulate your emotions? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I imagine that's tricky when you don't even have a word for how you're feeling to be able to navigate it because you don't necessarily know what it is. Even with my kids during COVID, we had to have conversations about like, dad's not mad right now. Dad's feeling frustrated. And those are not the same. They're really close. They're really similar, but they're not the same. And so helping my kids recognize how, even how someone else, even how I was feeling. And the same is true for you. Not only are you needing words to describe how you are feeling, but you might, have trouble understanding how other folks are feeling too.
0: Yeah, I think I was pretty good at understanding how other people are feeling, given that I was just very, I'm highly sensitive and empathetic. But the the part that was tricky for me is to explain myself to other people. Like you said, like I need to first identify what I'm feeling and find the right words to explain to other people.
1: So I just want to add a layer on that I'm almost positive is here. You've talked about the ADHD masking. As neurotypical, you've talked about that emotional masking of like, you're having these strong emotions, but you kind of have to culturally behave as though they're not as strong or potentially even there. And you don't have the language to share them. And then we add in that you're an immigrant and that you came here when you were 17. And now there's at least code switching happening, which is kind of ish masking. It's not exactly masking, but it's a related, it's a related concept you're trying to pass for American, which really translates to white. Um, not that I want it to, but I, I'm not going to win that fight because lots before me, have tried. I'm just going to contribute to it. That's in here too, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of besieged on all sides just about with trying to fit your square peg into three different round holes, none of which seem to want to work. Am I understanding?
0: Yeah, I I think you're definitely understanding it. That's definitely a challenge. I would say it's unique to first generation or, you know, first and half or second generation immigrant that, you know, I'm the first one here. So yeah, there's a lot of cultural assimilations and I don't think I will ever pass for the US because I would just be blonde about, like, oh, yeah, I don't know what you're referring to, whatever TV you're talking about. I was like, I have no clue. Like, I was watching something totally different at that age or at what, whatever 2000s or whatever. So it is true. But I think the US overall, there's a bit more tolerance of individuality, you know, and differences and, you know, talking about yourself or, talking about unique challenges, are a bit more encouraged. So I think in that sense, I appreciate this uniqueness of culture that helps me to be okay of talking about like the unique challenges I have to go through.
1: If anything, it sounds like your parents kind of had to wrestle with that. You're coming back to them and saying, Mom, Dad, I'm depressed. And they're like, what kind of American nonsense are you talking about?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, I I haven't, I still haven't shared wisdom about my ADHD diagnosis. Like I said, the literal translation in Chinese is hyperactivity. So I don't think they would like, it would really be hard to explain to them like, Oh, actually, there's like three different types. I'm the inattentive type, like, what does it mean? And so as of now, I just cope on my own. And I have family and friends of my own that, you know, understand and supports me. Yeah
1: with regard to your being an immigrant, how does the ADHD and immigration, like how do those things play together? I imagine there's, and you alluded to it earlier, I imagine there's a ton of paperwork when immigrating to another country. We ADHD folks are kind of allergic to that.
0: Funny example, my green card application weighed four pounds and the USPS lost my first package. So I have to like uh, contact, you know, the website I was working with and uh, reprint the whole thing all over again and sign the whole thing all over again and try to send it to the USCIS, the immigration agency. And it's just a lot of paperwork you have to keep track of. I have nine copies of one student form and you can't lose any of them. And you have to keep track of them over a very long period of time, like, uh, you know, years, like I mean, we're talking about decades here. So it drains a lot of your executive functioning. So I'm probably not being as organized in other departments of my life because that drains a lot of it.
1: Wow. I listened to what you said. I heard all of it. But my brain definitely went, four pounds and like got stuck there for a second. Like I fully ADHD'd that moment. And in case my audience did too, I hear you. Feel free to rewind if you need to, guys. That that's stunning to me that it was four pounds. That's a lot of paper. And I think it's really important that we we recognize a couple of things. One, like you said, it's you have to pay attention to this for years, if not decades. And you did. Credit to you that's a big deal. And if you haven't taken a moment to sort of pat yourself on the back and celebrate that, you should, because that's a big deal. That's a big accomplishment.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I think I, we do it because the consequences are so dire and we have to.
1: <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But still, I mean, it it's still impressive. It's still pretty, especially when they lost your paperwork too. That's even worse, right? That's...
0: That was a whole thing. That was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But like, like, I appreciate you saying it because, you know, that's basically what I dealt with in 2020. It was just mainly the green card application. And I felt a lot of shame of like, oh, but you didn't do anything else. Like, you know, you, that that's all you did. And at the time I was like, oh, but I should be able to do other things. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a huge deal. Like for my ADHD brain, <laughs> like it was a huge deal.
1: When did you come over? You said you were 17, but is that five years ago, 10 years ago?
0: That was uh, nine years ago, yeah.
1: And you came to go to school, right? So yeah, what,
0: college, yeah.
1: What school did you attend?
0: At University of Maryland, College Park.
1: What was your major?
0: I was a math major for a hot minute because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and I wanted to do environmental environmental science. And my parents was like, oh, what are you thinking? That's too idealistic. I ended up doing environmental economics and did economics for a while, yeah.
1: And what are you doing now?
0: Uh, I was working for a mindfulness startup and I got burned out, so I quit.
1: <laughs> that seems bitterly ironic like i worked for a mindfulness startup and got burned out that seems like a thing that shouldn't happen yeah and you're you're working your way towards a meditation coach now
0: yeah so i'm enrolled in a program uh created by jack cornfield and tara brock that's called mindfulness meditation teacher training program that's starting in february of next year yeah cool
1: we, we need that. Like we need more folks who are telling us to calm down and tune in.
0: Yeah. That's funny. Cause like I have this thing of, I was trying to challenge myself to meditate consistently. That was before I know I was ADHD and everybody's advice is like, oh, you pick a day and you pick a, you know, pick the same day and same time, same routine. And I could not do it for the life of me. And I just figured out what I need to do. Just rotate. I rotated through different meditation practices from like breathing to like visualization to movement and that was the only way i could stick with what i need to do and that was even before i know i had adhd i was already like figuring out how to accommodate myself
1: when you start playing with meditation whenever anyone starts looking in that at that the first few times you almost always come across that metaphor of just pretend you're sitting next to a stream and a leaf is going by the stream and the leaf is a thought and just observe the leaf and let it go down the stream and let it go and i'm like that is not what that experience is like for someone with adhd if you have adhd a better metaphor would be imagine that you're sitting next to a road cars are driving by and they're really loud and every now and then a truck tears through you're gonna want to pay attention to these things but try not to like try to let the truck drive by.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And then you start having conversation with a car driver, right? Like <laughs> Yeah,
1: you're like, wow, that's like four purple cars I just saw. I never see purple cars and then you're <laughs> yeah. yeah. When it comes to meditation, what are some of the ways that you're doing it? You've mentioned sort of physical meditation. There's that river metaphor. What are some of the ones that you find are appealing to your ADHD brain?
0: Yeah, for me, the one that really stuck stuck out to me is the uh, movement meditation. So there is a practice called shaking and dancing. And I learned it from a book called The Transformation by Dr. James Gordon. The essential practice is just that you play sort of a, a drumming music and they just shake your whole body. And then you shake for like a good five minutes and then you stand there and just breathe and observe your body for like a minute or two. And then you play a song that really represents the energy you wanna embody and then you dance to it. Like that's the whole practice. That is one of the best way for me to uh, regulate my emotions. And if I need to calm down from something like that is the practice I go to, yeah.
1: I can see how the sort of shaking part of it is really, really stimulating. Mm -hmm. In a way that doesn't require that you remember anything. No. Like (laughs) I'm I'm coming from a martial arts lens. I take Kempo. And so my movement meditation is doing forms. Yeah. But I have to remember those forms. And there's times, there's forms I've done thousands of times and I start them and I'm like, I don't, oh crap, I don't remember how this starts. Or I start doing one and I midway through, I shift into a second one. So the shaking requires no recollection. There's no lens for like, you're doing this wrong because you can't. And it's also going to be really stimulating and really get you into your body so that when you stop and do that breathing piece, you're much more attuned to how you're feeling because you kind of have to be. It sort of forces that. That's a really cool model.
0: Yeah, for sure. I never thought about the stimulating part, but that's so true. I think that's why my brain doesn't think about anything else because you're just like so enjoying all your body parts <laughs> moving through air
1: yeah like you, you kind of can't think of anything else it's t- it's too engrossing i would imagine once you've stopped and sort of paid attention to your body then you're moving into dance after that
0: yeah dancing like uh, an energy you want to embody like you know some maybe like reggae songs or just like happy you know optimistic songs just help you to retune an energy that you want to share with yourself and the world
1: it's really as much of a meditation practice as a transition practice. This sounds like a thing that would be really helpful for transitioning from one emotional state to another where if I'm feeling really frustrated or really sad if I just start shaking around like a like animal from the muppets I'm going to shatter that emotion. Right. Exactly. If I'm angry and frustrated, the shaking might at first embrace that emotion, but eventually I'm going to work through it. And if I'm sad, I'm going to mess up the sad because there's too much activity happening. And then I stop and I'm just like, holy cow, I'm tired or my, the back of my head is hot or whatever I'm experiencing. My heart is pounding. Um, I'm sweaty. And then after I pause and allow that attention to my body to come through, I'm still tuned into my body. And now I play a song and I try to embody the emotionality that I need right now. I imagine you could even pivot into like a really slow ballet move kind of thing. Not that you necessarily have to be trained in ballet to do that, but more slow languid movements afterwards to kind of de-escalate. And it would still work, even if it's not like a joyous song. It seems like that that initial shaking is going to dysregulate your dysregulation put you in a new frame of mind.
0: Definitely. I think it draws from Peter, uh, Dr. Peter Levine's uh, somatic practices, and they all come with like observing animals and how after danger, they shake it out. Like they shake the energy out. And, and while you say transitioning, it's interesting. You are talking about emotional transitioning. I'm thinking about, oh, I should do this between tasks. Like I'm so bad at transitioning through tasks and maybe I should like really disrupt whatever the energy was before and then maybe embody something new, yeah.
1: I don't think we pay enough attention to transitions. Oh,
0: that's so true. (laughs) I think that's one thing that I can't ever finish what's on my to-do list because I don't think about the transitioning time.
1: Transitions have nine pieces and we think of them as one thing, right? But there's nine.
0: What? Nine
1: pieces? Picture a tic-tac-toe board. Start there. So a a three-by-three grid.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Every transition has three parts. If you imagine like you're in a room, that's your first spot. And then you exit that room and go into a hallway. That's the middle of your transition. And then you conclude the transition when you go into the next room. So that, and it doesn't have to be actually, you're going from one room to another. You can be sitting at a desk and transitioning from checking email to recording a video or editing an essay, and it's still a transition. You're still transitioning from one thing to another. You're, the room in this case would be the email that you're checking. The hallway is the gap in between. And then when you go into editing that video or editing your essay, that's the second room. So there's those pieces, but there's also three different transitions that happen inside of each transition. We have to transition physically. We have to transition cognitively. And we have to transition emotionally. Oh
0: my God. That's true.
1: So there's really nine parts. They don't all necessarily happen at the same time, right? You could physically, there's times when we're like, I don't know, I did the dishes and now I'm sitting down at my computer ready to check my email, but I'm not checking my email. And it's because
0: cognitively, you're not there
1: yet. Maybe emotionally, you're not there physically, you're there. But the other two, one of those at least is lagging behind.
0: Are there any tips that we can push ourselves emotionally and cognitively to be there?
1: Yeah. One tip is knowing that that's the case, right? Like a lot of things, if you just know that that's what's up, it's easier to make those transitions intentionally. And that helps. Another thing to transition cognitively is you've got to have a plan. Like if you're, I'm going to check my email. Cool. What does that mean? Are you going to check every email you've gotten that you haven't looked at yet? Are you going to check only the emails from this one guy who really matters that you need to check like a professor or a boss or something? Are you going to check 10 emails and that's your plan? Or are you going to check email for an hour and then you're going to stop, right? Like you need to define at least done and preferably what your objective is with regard to this task. So that's cognitive. And then emotionally, what kind of emotion is it, do you need to be able to do this? It's
0: a good point, yeah.
1: Do you need to be happy? Do you need to be excited? Do you need to feel confident? Do you need to put on your emotional hat and go, oh, I need to feel professional? Like for some of us, that's an emotion. It's not a very clear, it's not an emotion we typically think of, but like there's that when you're in professional mode, your emotions are managed a little more effectively. You're feeling a little more confident in yourself. You're feeling a little more like you know what you're doing. Hopefully there's always like imposter syndrome that undermines that. But when we really feel professional, that's the kind of stuff that's happening. So what do we need to do to get there? You might have to change clothes, right? You know, I need to, you do your dishes in sweatpants and now you're like, I kind of think I have to put on like slacks and a blouse if I'm going to check my email and do this the way I need to do it right now. That might be a piece of that transition. And that's a physical transition that can affect your emotional state.
0: That's so interesting because- It actually goes back to what I'm thinking about, like how my upbringing and like why it's hard for me. A lot of it is I never thought about like, oh, what emotions do I need to accomplish this task? It's just like you accomplish this task, period. There's no emotion I think about associated with them. Yeah.
1: But even that's an emotion.
0: That's true. That's true.
1: Right? Like that's determination is what that is. At least that's determination. And sometimes it might just be straight up anger and frustration and like, I'm just going to do it, but I can't show any of that.
0: Yeah. But it's not very kind to myself sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So playing with it, like, what do I need to do this? What kind of an emotional state do I need to be in? Might be helpful.
0: That's true. Definitely.
1: So sorry. Sorry for my... Like just running down a rabbit hole on you.
0: (laughs) No, that's super useful. I mean, I've never learned that piece of information yet. So I'm very geeked out right now and about to Google it right after this call.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a model I made up.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Someone else might have made it up too, but that's a model I made up. I like it. I have a graphic artist that I'm working with who's going to help me make it a thing you can look at.
0: It's going to be a viral tweet. I already see it.
1: I've had that in my back pocket for a few years now. I just haven't done anything with it yet. But now my, I've got a graphic artist who's helping me. One of the things that I want to I want to play with is the strategies that you've picked up on and learned about as an ADHD adult, almost especially because of the unique set of circumstances that brings you to ADHD, where you're like, well, I don't really have a lot of emotional, I don't know, education and language. And you've come to a whole new country left i'm assuming left mom and dad in china and so you're on your own adhd is pretty heavily in a a disorder around adulting in a lot of ways and now you're like gonna have to go be an adult when you're 17 so at least in america you're not even legally an adult yet and you're on your own that's a big deal i'd love to hear a little bit about the challenges your fate you faced and probably you're still facing and what are some of the strategies you've discovered to help you manage them?
0: Yeah, that was one piece I shared on Twitter is that it's one of the things that you really need to adult on your own. Like like you said, as an immigrant, that my parents are an ocean away. If something happened, I can't just call them. They don't know like how to deal with a lot of things here because just the societies are so different. And they can't just drop by and dox it or, you know, whatever I need them to do.
1: And even the non-obvious time zone thing, right? Like there's probably, you can't even call them. Mm
0: -hmm. There's a 13 hour time difference right now and it's 12 hours in the summer. So yeah, it's uh, one of the big things I learned is to know how to build your own support circle, like surround yourself with people who understand you. And uh, one thing I really appreciated this year, especially is to find the ADHD community. It's really important to have people Talking about things in the language you really understand. And if anything, like I go on ADHD community Twitter and then people are talking about things like, yes, I know, but like looking at it again, it's a gentle reminder for me again. And then, like in that moment, I get that boost and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do things differently. Like I don't have to repeat my like hard patterns that was like wired when I was a child. So it's like the gentle reminders of every day and having people sharing the same struggles with you to some extent and, you know, don't suffer alone and just find your people. You can find your people. And another big one I would say is remember nothing defines you. Like you are a whole person. Like ADHD is a big part of who we are, but it's not all of us. It's not all of our beings. Like we're bigger than that. Like we're capable. That's one of the big things. It's a more of a mantra, I guess, that I picked up along the way.
1: What are some of the things besides ADHD and and being an immigrant? Because we played with that too. What are some of the other things that define you that that you hang your hat on?
0: Yeah, like like I said, uh, um, meditation and mindfulness is a huge part. And I'm actually really into astrology and tarot as well. Like that's a big part. Like the, all the mysticism and <laughs> all that stuff. And I'm a history nerd, kind of. Like I love watching documentaries on with my free time. I'm a dog mom. I mean, not that it's a defining label, but it's a big, sure it big change. Like when I got a dog, I was like, oh, my God, it's like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's many things. And uh, that's one of the things that I think it's so interesting about ADHD people is that we're interesting so many different things. Like it's almost like there's so many facets of who we are that it's it's worthy of being celebrated.
1: I agree. You just sort of mentioned this, but we prior to the interview, we sort of did some emailing back and forth. One of the things you talked about was being a jack of all trades and a master of none and how that lends itself to imposter syndrome. Can you expand on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, again, that t- actually ties back to my Asian uh, upbringing a bit more that. Uh, Because what's encouraged is the sort of STEM major that you develop those skills. And like when I was younger, I really was, I enjoyed reading, I could hyper focus on reading novels. And that's a huge reason why I thought I could never have ADHD, because I could sit there for like hours and like read. And so I didn't think I could have ADHD. So a certain skills are not encouraged, like, you know, oh, you want to be a writer? No, like, that's not something that's encouraged. Oh, you want to be a photographer? No, that's not encouraged. So I I feel like I got developed a lot of my skills much later than I could have been had I been encouraged or just have a had a bit more in, uh, nurturing environment. Uh, that's one. And another one is just the fact that we're interested in so many things, and we all have limited time every day. That I, you know, if I put things in this bucket and that bucket and that bucket, none of the buckets will be very full. <laughs>
1: And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience?
0: Yeah, one of the big ones I want to share is that, um, you know, navigating the ADHD health, uh, health system in the U.S. is difficult. But I'm still appreciative of the resources available for me here because I was just doing a little bit of research on my own about, you know, what's the resources look like in China and what I found out is, even in school, they're still teaching DSM four instead of five to their students, and there's a, still a lot of stigma around their mental health, and there's still a lot more um, misdiagnosis with comorbidity because there's not enough specialists that's you know specializing ADHD. Yeah, so if you have resources available here as immigrants and, you know, as Asian people living abroad, take advantage of it because it's, it's very useful.
1: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at Brendan